Back to Genesis, we're still in chapter 12. Um, we're going to be starting at verse 10. Uh, just to recap, we started uh, chapter 12 what, about uh, two weeks ago, right? Uh, and on this chapter 12, we got to verse 9. And we talked about Abram's call. We talked about Abram being called out. And then we talked kind of about the covenant that God made with Abram, the seven different uh, blessings, the uh, blessing of the nation, the blessing uh, that he would be a great nation, that he would be a blessing, or he will be blessed. And then he would have a great name, and then he would be a blessing. He would that God would bless those who bless Abraham and curse those who curse Abraham, that blessing we found was contingent on how other people treated Abram, right? And then six, uh, in him all the families of the earth would be blessed, and then seven, the land of promise was given to him, right? So after we find this God showing up and appearing to Abram, right? Because it says that he appeared to Abram, right? Uh, verse 7 says, And the Lord appear, appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord who had appeared unto him. So here, Abram doesn't just hear from God, but God visits him directly. Amen? Now, I want to give you all this background because Abram is about to show his humanity in this next part of chapter 12, okay? He is about to show his humanity and he's about to show why we should follow Christ and, you know, only follow Abram as far as he can take us, amen? <laughs> because Abram, like you and me, is a flawed human being, amen? Yeah, see, that was a no. Uh, verse 10. We're going to read from verse 10. Uh, I believe I'm going to re read to the end of the chapter, okay? So 10 verses, uh, 11, I think, if you count them all. But uh, And there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there. For famine was grievous. For the famine was grievous in the land. And it came to pass when he come near to enter into Egypt that he said unto his wife, Sarai, Behold now, I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. Therefore it shall come to pass when the Egyptians shall see thee that they shall say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will save thee alive. Say, I pray thee, that thou art my sister, that it may be well with me for thy sake. My soul shall live because of thee. And it came to pass that when Abram was come unto Egypt, the Egyptians beheld the woman that she was very fair. <clears throat> and it came to pass that when Abram was come into Egypt, the Egyptians beheld the woman that she was very fair. I want you to understand. Abram said she was good looking. The Egyptians said she was very 
good looking. <laughs> Amen? Now, we'll talk about her age here in a minute, okay? No, I'm going to leave that alone for a second. <laughs> Verse 15. The princes of the Pharaoh saw her and commanded her before Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And he entreated Abram well for her sake. And he had sheep and oxen and he asses and manservants and maidservants and she asses and camels. And the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that thou hast done unto me? Why didst thou not tell me that she was thy wife? Why saidest thou she is my sister? So I might have taken her to be my wife. Now therefore behold thy wife, take her and go thy way. And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him and sent him away, his wife and all that he had. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you that your word, every bit of it, is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. God, I pray that you would help us to rightly divide your word of truth tonight. Let us steer clear of error and let us walk in your truth. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I started this with a caveat saying that the first part of this, we see God not only talking to Abram, but God shows up and appears to Abram, okay? Now, I don't know about all of you, I just have a simple relationship with God through faith in Christ and the witness of the Holy Spirit in me. Amen. I have not seen God, nor has God appeared unto me. Okay. But Abram not only heard God audibly, but Abram in some sense saw God, albeit was probably a... a Christophany, where Christ was the one appearing to Abram. But either way, he saw God, okay? And he's like, he, he has an encounter that me and you would, would, would think if we saw God, how drastically would that change me, right? Like, how in the world could Moses have struck the rock? Because Moses saw God, even if it was just God's back parts, right? How can Moses do that? Well, it's exactly what we were talking about this morning, right? How easily we forget our encounter at the well. Amen? It's so easy for us to come to the well and, and have that experience where Christ comes and meets us. And, and we all of a sudden we feel so in, in, enraged and, uh, uh, with joy, you know, overwhelmed with joy and overwhelmed with feelings of God loves me and I want to tell everybody else and it isn't that much time. And we've walked away, completely abandoned that feeling, that thought, that experience, and we're living our own life our own way. Amen? Abram is no different. This, this guy didn't just hear from God. 
he saw God. And in the very second, and it's the same chapter. You get a little break from Abram getting this covenant, and then all of a sudden Abram keeps going south to the Negev, and then boom. He says, I'm going to go down to Egypt because famine's in the land, and I'm going to lie to Pharaoh. Right? That's what he did. Now, God did not rebuke Abram for it. Pharaoh did. Sometimes God uses the people that you're wronging to correct you. I don't know if that ever happened to you or not, but it has happened to me. And if you get married, it'll happen to you over and over and over and over. Because <laughs> my wife has to constantly correct me. <laughs> Amen? I don't know if she has to, but she does a very good job on it. Okay? The reality is that God will use circumstances to teach us, to grow us, to, to shape us, even to correct us. Amen? And I, 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 could, I could just throw the sovereignty of God all in here, but we can also see that Abram has his own choices that he makes. And he's culpable for those decisions. Amen? So I want to start, first of all, it starts in verse 10. It says, there was a famine in the land. And Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there. For the famine was grievous in the land. And if you have an ESV, the ESV is going to say uh, that the, the, the uh, oh my goodness, the famine was severe in the land. Isn't that what you says? The famine was severe in the land. Now first, anytime the Bible mentions something and then mentions it with emphasis, that's telling you something, okay? The verse starts out saying, there was a famine in the land. The famine was bad enough that Abram said, I'm going to go sojourn, sojourn down in Egypt because the famine was grievous. Amen. It mentions that famine twice in the same verse, one time, and then it expounds upon it with deeper emphasis on how bad the famine was. Now, there's a lot of people that'll go, well, you know, God's sovereign over all things, and he, you know, he caused this famine to make Abram go down there. Now, from the biblical text, I cannot gather that. Okay? Now I know God's in control and God's sovereign over all things. Can I get an amen? Now, that being said, we also know that deserts get dry. Okay? We also know that the Jordan River, I don't know how many of y'all know this, but the Jordan River is below sea level, okay? And then the farther down south it gets, the lower below sea level it gets. So the, the area around Israel and the Jordan, the Canaanite area, is very dependent on rainfall for drinking water. Okay, because the river that's that far below sea level is not going to keep enough water in it to sustain that much life very far away from the river. Amen. So they depended on rain. And I don't know if you realize this, but in the desert, it can go quite a while without rain. Amen. 
So any time it didn't rain, there was a famine, okay? This famine in this part of the world continually happens over and over and over and over and over throughout the Old Testament. Amen? If you just think of a time, uh, a group of people, and there was a famine in this land at that time, okay? Abram, famine in the land. Isaac, famine in the land. Jacob, famine in the land. Joseph, famine in the land. Can I get an amen? What did Joseph save all of Israel from? A famine in the land of Canaan. Amen? Why? Because this part of the world went through cycles over and over of drought. And anytime you have drought, you're going to have a famine. Drought means no water, no crops, no growing things, nothing to eat. That's how it works. Amen? Now, as much as I want to throw the, the sovereignty of God into everything, we also see a natural order that God's made in a desert area that it constantly gets drought, no rain. That's the process that happens time and time again, and it's still happening over there right now. Amen? How many of y'all know that we in America have places in America that continually go through drought? Over and over. Matter of fact, were it not for the uh, oh, Colorado River, California would be in constant drought. Were it not for the fact that California dug that whole river uh, aqueduct system from the, the Colorado River all the way into California, they wouldn't have any water. They would have little streams, and those streams would dry up every summer. That's what happens. Nevada, Arizona, they all do that. It's part of living in the desert. Amen? So, I know God's in control of all things. I will not discount the fact that maybe God used and planned that this famine would drive Abram down there to test Abram. To, but we don't have that written in the text. Amen. So I'm not going to preach it that way. What I'm going to say is this famine is the cause that Abraham goes down there. And that's what I can prove from chapter uh, 12, verse 10. Amen. That the famine is the reason Abram says, I'm going to go and sojourn down in Egypt. Now, anybody know what sojourn means? Well, wandering is a good way of, of putting it. Temporary stay, that's the basic word of sojourning. You're, you're going somewhere temporarily, okay? You're wandering through the, you're nomad for a while, okay? Which is almost every tribe that lived in the land of Canaan were nomadic by nature, okay? Now, they had a few cities that they would establish, but they didn't even stay in those cities all the time. They would move move with the water, they'd move where the crops were growing the best. Amen? That's part of nomadic life. Uh, now, it says he, he went down because the famine was severe. I wanted to read a little note here just because uh, this 
King James Study Bible has a pretty good little uh, uh, note here. The only river that flowed year-round in Israel was the Jordan River. And it was completely below sea level, minus 686 feet at its highest point, and minus 1,300 at its lowest point. Canaan relied heavily upon rainfall for its drinking water and crops. When there was no rain, there was a famine. To avoid the famine, Abram went down to Egypt. The location with the best water supply. This meant about uh, excuse me, excuse me. This meant abandoning the land that God had promised to His descendants. Now that's a point that I hadn't thought of. Abram leaving the land of Canaan was actually walking out of the land that God said, "I'm going to give you." Amen. So I'm not sure that him going down there was probably the best course of action anyway. Now, we know that he went down there and he, he lied, but he also got a whole bunch of cattle and oxes and camels and maidservants and manservants. And, and just a little side note, one of those maidservants, he ends up having a child with, Hagar, Ishmael. Think about that. Let that sink in for a minute. So Abram goes out of the land that God promised him to Egypt to sojourn there to get away from the famine. While he's there, he lies about Sarah being his wife, gets all this stuff given to him by the king who thinks that it's his sister and takes Sarah into his house as his wife. And then Pharaoh gets plagued. And then Pharaoh says, oh, hold on, this isn't your wife, this, or this isn't your sister, this is your wife. And he sends him away with all of his possession. So Abram, even though he did the wrong thing twice, in my opinion, first of all, leaving the land of promise, second of all, lying to Pharaoh, okay, even though he done those two things, he comes out with more possessions than he started with. And God doesn't punish him for lying to Pharaoh. That's pretty, look, don't act like you can do that, okay? Because unless you got this promise gave to you, I'll bless those who bless you and curse those who curse. That's the only reason that Abram didn't get punished. The only reason that Abram didn't get punished is because God first made a covenant with Abraham, or Abram, excuse me. Oh, it's old, it's so hard. To say Abram and not Abraham. God made a covenant with Abram before he went down there. I can't tell you that if he went down there before God made the covenant with him, that it would have went that well for him. Can you see that? God's covenant was the only thing that protected Abram from Abram's own mistakes. That's the only thing. And you'll note chronologically as it's written, he gets the covenant and then he goes down there, does that, and God, although Abram was wrong, and Pharaoh tells him he's wrong, right? He's like, what have you done to me, right? You lied. You said this was your sister. 
Why did, you, why did you tell me that? You know it's your wife, right? Pharaoh's the one that rebukes him. Amen? Now that's pretty bad when a godless king rebukes God's chosen person. Let that sink in for a second. Amen? All right, I'm going to get back to the text. Verse 11 through 13. Abram plans this lie out, okay? Look what he says in verse 11. And it came to pass when he came near in uh, near to enter into Egypt, they didn't even get into Egypt. They got down there close to the border of Egypt, and Abram hatches this plan, okay? Abram says, they shall say this is, or excuse me, Behold, I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. Now, I want to give you a little information that you might not have. But Sarai was about 65 years old at this point, okay? And what I can tell you is apparently Sarai was very good looking 65-year-old, okay? Not only that, Sarai was probably a very good-looking 80-year-old because later on, some 15 years later, they do this same thing again and lie to King Abimelech. And King Abimelech looks at Sarai and says, Woohoo! Uh, yeah! Right? And he takes her into his house to what he does. That's what he... Boy, you go back and look at this. Look, I'm going to find it now. Look at this. You, you got to have the hillbilly Kevin version to get what I just said out of it, though, okay? Yeah. Now, where, what, what chapter is that where he, where he lies to Abimelech? Yeah. Yeah. Now, watch this. I'm going to show you something. Right after he deceives Abimelech, the very next chapter, okay, is where we have the angel coming to Sarah, and Sarah had the child just as the Lord had spoken, right? That's chapter 21. So we know that Sarah was how old when she had this baby? I don't remember where it tells you how old she was, but it ain't in this chapter. Yep, she's 90 right there. Well, it's uh, in my notes here. She's 90. So she's like 89 the second time that they pull this trick. The second time that they say, oh, no, this is my sister. She's like 89. And obviously, she still looks good enough that King Abimelech's like, hey, I'm adding you to my, my wives, right? Let's go look at this. I want to find the, the real, ver the main verse here. Now, 
he did the same thing, verse 2. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, thou art a dead man. For the woman which thou hast taken, for she is a man's wife. Wow, okay? Now, this right here skips past all the woohoo stuff that we saw in the first one, right? It just goes right to Abimelech, saw her, and was like, hey, look at Sarah. And took her right in to be his wife. But the very night that he does this, God shows up and says, you're dead. Okay? Do you see how serious God takes his covenant with Abram? Okay? Even if Abram's lying, God took the covenant that he made. God takes his part of his covenant very seriously. That's why we should take our part of his covenant very seriously. Amen? No, he was. Well, look, I want to go back to uh, chapter 12 here because Abram explains exactly his thought process, okay? And it's not very good. Okay, if, if it was done today, my wife would be mad at me. Your wife would be mad at you. Your wife would be mad at you. Okay, listen to how he says this. He says, therefore, it shall come to pass when the Egyptians shall see thee, that they shall say, this is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will save thee alive. Now watch this. Say, I pray thee, that thou art my sister. Now this is how he says it. Tell them... You're my sister. Now watch watch what he does to trick her into this, okay? I want you to see it. I pray thee, say, I pray thee, thou art my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake. You see what he just did there? He said, tell them you're my sister so that it will go well with me for your sake. You see what he just did there? Now, first of all, Sarah didn't have anything to lose, okay? She, she, even if Abraham dies, she's going to have a husband, okay? Now, she might really have loved Abraham, okay? She must have and put up with this nonsense in the first place, okay? <clears throat> but Abram is thinking of saving his own skin and using his wife as a shield. That's what he's doing. He's using his wife as a shield and risking getting his wife taken from him over his life. This is a pretty serious deal, okay? This is pretty serious stuff, okay? So, verse 11 through 13, I wrote two notes. God, Abraham, Abram plans the line. And then uses his wife as a cover to save his own life. That's all he wanted to do was save his own skin. Now watch this. Why do I say that? If you read the rest of verse 13, he says, I pray, uh, say I pray thee that thou art my sister, that it may be well with me for thy sake, and my soul shall live because of thee. Twice he mentions him not dying. Okay, his sole reason for having her lie was so that he didn't get killed. Okay, 
and almost seems like it's going to be good for you if I don't die. You were right? That's what he's saying. It's going to be real good for you, Sarah, if I don't die, okay? And, and, then, and, and then if you look at it from another way, you're going to be saving my life, right? So, so it's good for you, and you're going to be a hero, Sarah. That's what he's telling her. You're going to do... Yeah, just a half-truth, right? Well, and he doesn't justify it before Pharaoh. He does with Abimelech. He tells that to Abimelech. He makes, because Abimelech's like, why did you lie to me? Why are you telling me? Why are you deceiving me? He's like, well, I didn't lie to you. She really is my sister. Well, a half-truth is still a lie, okay? <laughs> right? You can tell half the, half the story, you're still lying, amen? Uh so he's doing this to save his own skin. And then verse 14 and 15, I want you to see this. It says, when it came to pass that Abram was coming to Egypt, the Egyptians beheld the woman that she was very fair, okay? Now, look, I know every young lady in this church is going, I hope I look very fair at 65 years old, amen? <laughs> look, Carmen got me an amen, okay? The realities that she looked very fair at 65 years old has got to be the fact that she's so close to the, the, old, the old patriarchs and the line of Seth and all them people, okay? There's no other explanation other than that. Now, Abram didn't live extremely long. I mean, he lived 20, 25 years longer than most the oldest person that we know of today. You know what I mean? Abram lived to be like, what, 140-ish? Like 140-ish, if I'm remembering right, okay? Kyle can look it up. <laughs> Mike, you can Google it, I don't care. But even Sarah didn't live a real, real long time. I don't know that she lived past 130 so the idea that at 65 she was still looking very fair, as the King James puts it, is very telling either genetically something was, she had good genes or a good diet or something. Amen? Abram was 175. Abraham lived 175. How old did Sarah live? Do you, do you know that? I thought she died about 130. I can't remember. But either way, 65 is still 127. See, I knew she lived close to 130 years. But so 65 is still half her life. You know what I mean? So she's middle-aged. I guess she can still look very fair at middle-aged, right? I'm hoping I look pretty fair. Middle-aged here. I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, middle-aged is lower now, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, and they were getting real close to normal age spans, though. I mean, Abram only lived 175. So, I mean, you're getting a lot closer than Methuselah to normal years. You know what I mean? Uh, 
I have three notes on this from 14 to, to 15, but I want to finish 15. So the princes of the Pharaoh saw her and commanded her before Pharaoh. Now, the princes saw Sarai, and they said, Sarai, you're going to go before Pharaoh. And it seems that as soon as Pharaoh saw her, <laughs> to, to finish verse 15, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. So the, the Pharaoh's princes say, hey, you need to go see Pharaoh. She goes before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh's like, yeah, I'll take that one. Right? I, I wrote a few notes down. Number one, they saw her beauty, not just that she was fair, like Abram said, that she was a fair woman, but she was very fair. They took her before Pharaoh, and when Pharaoh sees her, he takes her immediately into his house. Now, here's the messed up part about this whole thing. Abram goes and lies to Pharaoh, okay? Verse 16 says this, And he entreated Abram well for her sake. In other words, Pharaoh was so smitten with Sarai that he treated Abram really good. Like, oh, you're my new wife's brother. I'm going to give you all kinds of stuff. Watch what, he's, watch what he gives him. He says, and he had sheep and oxen and he asses and may, uh, men servants and maid servants and she asses and camels. Now, the most important one on this list isn't necessarily the donkeys or the maidservants, men servants, the sheep, or oxen, it's the camels, because camels, uh, to our understanding, may not have been domesticated completely at this point. So camels were very few in people owning them. So even if the camels weren't necessarily domesticated, the fact that he had camels tells you how wealthy he was becoming while he's sojourning in Egypt. He just went down there for a visit, bro. And he's coming, he's got all this stuff now. Sheep and oxen and manservants, maidservants, he donkeys, she donkeys, camels, amen? And all over a lie that this is his sister, amen? Now watch, the very next thing that I want you to Take your focus to is verse 17. It says, in the Lord, this is an important statement, okay? The Lord plagued Pharaoh, okay? And I wrote my own note down here. I didn't go look up anybody else's note because what this made me think of immediately was the fact that God takes marriage very seriously. Amen? So this, even here, as early as Abram, we see God taking the marriage covenant very seriously. And even before there was the law of Moses, before the law of Moses had ever been written, we see that God understood to take another man's wife as yours was wrong. This is a fundamental principle that is not just tied to the law of Moses, but tied to creation itself. 
when God made man in his image, male and female, and Adam turned to the first woman that was ever made just for him and said, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and cleave unto his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Amen? Now, you'll notice in both this story and the story of Abimelech that the main point of contention for God, when he comes to Abimelech, what did he say? You're a dead man because the woman you took in is another man's wife. That's a big deal. Amen? Now, I know we don't talk about that stuff nowadays. People don't even feel like they have to get married. They just shack up and live together and all that crazy stuff. But the Bible takes marriage very seriously. Amen? Matter of fact, the Bible takes sex very seriously. Can I get an amen? Although Abram was operating in subterfuge and lies in order to preserve his own life, God still remains faithful to Abraham and the promise that he gave Abraham in verse 3 of this same chapter. Turn back with me to verse 3 and let's read this promise that God gave to Abram. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Now I want you to notice that even though Abram was operating in lies and he wasn't actually, you know, showing real good moral character here, amen, he was lying, he was deceiving Pharaoh, God is still faithful to his side of the covenant that he made with Abram. The very fact that Abram took and, and let Sarai be taken into the Pharaoh's house, that didn't bother God as much as the fact that he had already made a covenant with Abram and said, whoever does good to you, I'm going to bless them, and whoever doesn't do good to you, I'm going to curse them. And we see the very fruit of that covenant bearing fruit in verse 17 when it says, and the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his household with great plagues, because of Sarai, Abram's wife. The whole point that these plagues came on Pharaoh was because Sarai was Abram's wife. Amen? This speaks to a double point. First of all, that God takes marriage seriously. Second of all, God takes his part of the covenant very seriously. Amen? And God, having already covenanted with Abraham, did not give Abram any stipulations. Amen? He didn't say, Abram, if you're good, I'll bless you. Right? He didn't say, Abram, if you don't go lie to Pharaoh, I'll bless you. He didn't say any of that. All of Abram's blessings were only contingent upon Abram believing God. That was the only part that he had to play. Now, does that make what he's doing right? No. And God uses Pharaoh to correct Abram. Amen? Watch what happens in verse 18. And, and Pharaoh called Abram and said, now, 
I wanted to read this with like a, you know, a, a, oh, what's his face off of the good times voice, but I couldn't. I'm not that good at mimicking voice, but <laughs> what is this that thou hast done to me? Why didst thou not tell me that she was thy wife? Why saidest thou she is my sister? So I might have taken her to me to, uh, to uh, excuse me, taken her to me to wife. Now therefore behold thy wife, take her and go thy way. Now this is strictly a straightforward statement, but it is a rebuke nonetheless. Amen. That, that's like when your kid goes running in the room and they put something in the light socket and blows the light socket and you got to go take it out of there and flip the breaker back on to get the lights to come back on. You're like, why did you do that? You're not just simply wanting an answer. You're trying to, you're scolding them at the same time. You know what I mean? Like, why in the world did you hit your sister? Why did you... He, he's not just simply trying to find out information. He's scolding him, right? First of all, he's Pharaoh. And he can talk to whoever he wants, however he wants. Number one, he's king, right? So he's coming at him as a king, telling him, why did you do this thing? Why did you lie to me and tell me she was your sister when she's your wife? He's scolding him. And God doesn't enter into this. He doesn't. You know, speak from heaven and say, oh, you've done wrong, Pharaoh, or Abram, right? But he uses Pharaoh to bring correction to Abram. Now, that correction does not take away all the stuff that Abram got from Pharaoh that he got to leave with when he left. Notice what it says. It says, and Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him that they send him away and his wife and all that he had. So he got to take everything out of there that he got by deception. <laughs> Come on. Only because God is faithful to his covenant. I want you to note that that is the point of this story. It is not that Abram was faithful in any manner whatsoever in this story. Can I get an amen? Abram was not the one that was faithful in this story. It is God, and it is God's faithfulness that we see in view here. Amen? God is faithful to his covenant. So in the New Testament... When it says, <laughs> I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. What he's saying is, I'm, I have no doubt in my mind in whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded that he's able to keep those things. He's able to do them. He is faithful to his promise. Amen. And if anything that I wanted to pull out of this chapter tonight was even when we're not faithful, God is faithful. Amen. Abram is a great patriarch. We're told to look up to Abram because of his faith. He believed God and it was counted unto him as righteousness. Amen. 
Uh, he believed God concerning Isaac, and it was still counted to him as righteousness, right? And, and Abram is a great patriarch, and yes, we're to follow his example of faith, but we're also to see that Abram is not the hero of Abram's story. God is the hero of Abram's story, amen? Every, every patriarch in the Bible, every person in the Bible, outside of Christ himself, God is the hero of the story. And Christ is only exempt because he is God. Amen? Every other character we have in the Bible, they may be, there may be things about them that we can mimic, like the heart. David had a heart, a, a, a heart after God. Amen? David was, a, was one who had a heart like God's. He was, loved God with all his heart. Amen? But David was also an adulterer and a murderer. Amen? David was flawed. David sinned just like us. The Bible has not given you stories of these people for you to lift these people up. They're giving you these stories so that you can see all their flaws, all their failures, and all the times that God saved them over and over and over and over. Amen? Because God is the hero of the Bible. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you and praise you for your grace. Lord, we thank you for this lesson that we've learned tonight, God. I thank you for the, the nuggets of truth that we have dug out of this, God. And I pray that you continue to help us to see these truths. The more and more we go through Genesis, God, we pray that you would help us as we study your word to understand it, to apply it to our life and live by what we read. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.